team. We appreciate you so much this morning. I tell you, my voice was good until all that music. Then I wanted to sing out, and I don't have a voice. So we'll see how it goes. Ephesians chapter 1. I do want to thank Gary for filling in last week. And uh, I want to thank you for your prayers uh, for our family over the last several weeks. And uh, just uh, just ask you to continue to pray for us. Uh, but thank you so much for your love and support to our family uh, over these last several weeks. Well, we're going to continue the series, In Him, For Him. I don't know that I've ever had a series in which I've attempted to preach uh, that it was kind of hit and miss each from week to week. But hopefully we'll now settle in and uh, make our way through the book of Ephesians. We are doing a verse-by-verse study through the whole book of Ephesians. We anticipate there's a total of 19 to possibly 20 sermons in this series. So you'll probably get a little tired in the future of me saying, turn to Ephesians something. So uh, uh, just be prepared. We're going to be doing this for quite a while. Today we're looking at new spiritual realities And if you look in your passport, you're going to see that there's an outline there. Go ahead and pull that out, and you can see and follow along. Uh, The outline there is to let you know when I'm about to finish, so you can kind of get excited about that. But but it's there for you to take notes, and I hope it'll be a, a blessing to you. If you'll look there, you'll see we're on part two. Two weeks ago, we looked at part one, and uh, we only got through two of the spiritual realities that are now ours. And so today, we're going to try to finish up what those new spiritual realities are in our lives. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, clearly describe who we are in Christ and the new spiritual realities in which we now can live. So look at the introduction there on your outline. The reason many of us yield to temptation in our flesh is not just from sheer weakness and self-centeredness, but also from not having a clear understanding of who we are in Christ. When we begin to understand who we are in Christ, then we begin to know our true identity, our privileges, and our purpose. You know, it's really amazing. You can go into any bookstore... Many go online to the bookstores or online, you'll see that there's a lot written about identity. There's a lot written about self-worth. There's a lot written about life purpose. And it's amazing how everyone wants to find those answers apart from the Word of God, apart from the one who created them. It's interesting that, that Solomon probably wrote the first book on the subject. I shared this with you two weeks ago, but Solomon, the wisest man we believe who ever lived, according to the scripture, wrote on this subject in the book of Ecclesiastes. Now think about what he did. In the book, he shows us how he did everything under the sun. That's repeated over and over again. I did everything under the sun. What was he trying to do? To find a purpose for life, to find self-worth, to find his identity apart from God. His conclusion was something like this. When we try to find these things within us, we come up empty. He literally says it's all vanity. It means nothing. And then he says we can even bring destruction in our lives. We have that potential to do that also. You see, life purpose, self-worth, and our identity do not come from within us. They come from the one who created us. Now look on your outline. This is kind of a review from two weeks ago, but it's important we get our minds around this. Possible identities as relating to God. Here's how we could relate to God. We can relate to him really in three ways. First of all, we could have a shame-based identity. And and, and here's what that identity says. 
I am hopeless and cannot be accepted by God. Now, some of you, that may not be at the forefront of your mind, but a lot of you, I believe, live subconsciously believing that. You're living a shame-based identity. There's something out there in your past that you did that you think is so bad that, that you can't forgive yourself for or you definitely can't believe God can forgive you for. But you know something? He can. Your identity does not have to be in your sin and in your shame. Now, second of all, performance-based identity. I must do certain things for God to approve of me and keep approving of me. And it's that cycle of performance. If I, if I can just do enough. And then thirdly, this is where we need to come down on. And this is what I believe Ephesians is directing us to. Or Paul is through the book of Ephesians. If I have a, a Christ-based identity, there is nothing I've done in the past that could keep God from accepting me for, who, for I am in him. And there is nothing I can do on my own to get God to approve of me for I am in him. You see, the whole terminology, when it comes to a Christ-based identity, is the whole idea that we're in Christ. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, again, a form of review from two weeks ago. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all, all things have become new. It's a whole idea that when Christ comes into our lives, when we invite him in, when we come on his terms, there's a miracle that takes place. We're placed outside of the identity of our sin and into the identity of who Christ is. And therefore, we now become in him. And there's a whole new fabrication of our life. There's a transformation that takes place. The transition from old things to new things. It involves our attitudes, our reactions, our actions, our behaviors, our perspectives but more about our identity and the new reality in which we now live. You see, most people don't get their minds around that. When we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we enter into a whole new identity of who we are and whose we are and how we are to see our life from a different perspective. And so what you see there in your outline. You see our new spiritual realities. Two of these you had uh, two weeks ago. So, you, so if you have the notes from two weeks ago, he, here's what you, we learned. He has given us or we have spiritual blessings. We saw that two weeks ago. He has chosen us and therefore we have an identity, a destiny, excuse me, a destiny. Well, today, look on your outline. He has adopted us and we are family. Now, how many of you are grateful for that? I mean, think about that. We're in Christ. What does that mean? Well, so far we've learned that we have spiritual blessing, blessings. We have a destiny. You know, it's amazing how many people live without the sense of destiny in their life. But did you know if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is a sense of destiny for your life? That not only it, it, it outlives this world, it goes into the world to come. And so right now, we look at this third spiritual reality. He has adopted us. We are family. Look at verse 5 of chapter 1. It says, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Now look on your outline. The, the whole idea of predestined. The whole idea in the context of what we're looking at, he predestined us. He, cho he means chosen to be part of his family. He chose us to be part of his family. I mean, think about that. Two weeks ago, we looked at the whole idea of election. 
And, it, and I'm not going back into it today. I don't have time. But if you go on the, the Internet and, and look at our, at our website, you can see from the sermon two weeks ago, we went and we talked about this whole idea of how, uh, this whole idea of election and how who, who comes on which side of it or whatever. Really, I think when we read verses like this, we don't need to get caught up in the debates. We don't need to get caught up in the mystery of it so much. We just need to accept it for what it is. And here's what we need to understand, that God chose us before the foundations of the world to love us and to shed his grace upon our lives. That, that should really cause us to think about what he's done on our behalf. And so we have that. Romans 8, 29 says this, for whom he, that's God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. The Bible says that after we come to know Christ, we are his servant, we are his friend, but most importantly, you know what it says? We are his child, an adoptive member of his family. Look at verse 5 again. He says this. He says, having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to him according to the good pleasure of his will. Now, that's a very interesting phrase. Look at it. Good pleasure of his will. You know what it literally means? It means this. It pleased God to do so. Now, think about that. Some of you who are sitting here today with a shame-based identity, you still see yourself in light of your sin. You, sh you still see yourself in light of your shame. And, and the thing that you need to understand is what is here. It pleased God to prepare all these things for you, to reach out to you in the way that he did. The Bible says in Philippians 2.13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Think about this. Your life brings pleasure to the heart of God. That's amazing to me when you think about it. Next, he has accepted us. We are established. That's literally what the whole phrase here is referring to. We are established. Look at verse 6. It says, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. That's a very important phrase there. But, but look at the first phrase there. He says, glory of his grace. It literally means grace that is on display. Grace on display. It, it speaks of undeserved love and goodness. It means before the foundations of the world, the fact he chose you to be a part of his family, when he, when he looked down through there, the only motivation for him to do that was his grace. His grace motivated him to do that. Not your so-called good life. Because your good life doesn't measure up to anything according to what we see in Scripture. You see, it's not about you. It's about what he did for you on his behalf. And so you go on. Uh, look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 here on the screen. Therefore, we also pray also for you that our God uh, would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. That the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified where? In you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about grace. It's all about the grace bringing the glory, the glory to God. The fact that he reached out to his grace towards you. And now you have the potential to bring glory through your life, bring glory to him through your life. Next, he made us accepted. Verse 6 tells us this. When it says he made us accepted, really the, the phraseology of what this passage, this part is saying, it means he established us. He established us. Now, now let's break down that word established. What does it mean? 
It means to bring about permanently. It, it means free of doubt. Here's another good way of looking at it. To be validated in truth. But here's my favorite. To make secure in a certain place. You see, when he accepted us, it literally means he established us. He put us in a secure place. Can I show you where he put us? Where did he put us? Look at verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted, here it is, in the beloved. Do you know who the beloved is? It's another way of saying in Christ. Because of this, this is what we know. Now, now here's what it means. In the beloved means provided by Christ. The the beloved, the word beloved means the state of being loved by God in in this context. Matthew 3.17, we're talking about the baptism of Jesus. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my, what does it say? Beloved son in whom I am well pleased. My beloved son. This is a son in which he he exists in the state of my love. Did you know the same thing can be said of us? And we'll talk more about this in just a moment when it talks about the whole idea of our inheritance in him. That when, listen, when, when, here's what we need to understand. If we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that means this. When Jesus was on the cross, you've heard this before. When Jesus was on the cross, he took upon our sin that's, that's where God saw us. Our sin was on him, okay? And so as a result, uh, we're gonna see this in just a moment. He purchased, that was our atonement. Our redemption was bought, purchased to the cross. But here's something interesting. When, when, when he was on the cross, God saw us. That's where our sin was punished. But now as we walk around, guess who he sees? He sees Christ where we are. It's because of what's been provided for us. So when it's a whole idea of in the beloved, it came about by a provision made by Christ. That's what he's done on our behalf. Now, next, look on your outline. He has redeemed us. We are forgiven. Look at verse seven. In him, look at what he says. Last part of verse six. In the beloved, here it is again, in him, that's Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. That is one of the richest verses in all the Bible. And you see it, let's unpack it. First of all, it says we have redemption. It literally means that he freed the powerless. He freed the powerless. Did you know that there's nothing you can do with your sin in and of yourself? Not a thing you can do with it. The only thing it can do is you can do the sin and it will condemn you. But there's been a provision made by Christ. And if you're in Christ, he made that provision for you in such a way that now you, you, you can stand against that sin. That sin is no longer held against you as we'll see in just a moment. You see, what we're seeing here is a picture of the day of atonement mentioned in the Old Testament. Here's what it means. When the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, the most holy place there is, to present the sacrifice, uh, the blood of an animal for the forgiveness of sins on behalf of, of the nation or behalf of individuals. However, this is now not necessary because Jesus fulfilled what it represented. You see, the Old Testament is just a foreshadowing of what Jesus was all about. It, 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 he fulfilled it. When Jesus died on the cross, uh, when he was resurrected, he, he not only conquered death, he conquered our sin. 
He, he conquered those things. When he died on the cross, shedding his blood on our behalf. Now, here's, here's what we need to understand. Here, here's what praise and worship looks like out there in eternity. Did you know that praise and worship is going on right now around the throne of God? Can I, can I fill you in on some of the things that are being said there? Here it is right here. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. Those gathered around the throne, here's what it says. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seal. You were slain, speaking of Christ, and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. What are they praising him for? The fact that he redeemed us. He did that, he did that on our behalf. It goes on in verse 7. It says, through his blood. And look, look at the phrase there, only payment for sin. His blood, listen, is the only payment that God will accept. The only one. You hear so many people say, there, you know, there's so many ways to God. And if we're just sincere in what we believe about that way, then we're in. That's not true. You can't put the Bible up beside any of that language. One is going to be false. I happen to believe that the Bible is true. You know why? Because I believe Christianity stands apart from all the other world religions. And here's why I mean that. The reason I mean that is because Christianity is the one that presents a different story. It presents the love of God, not us going to him and trying to find ourselves acceptable in him, but him coming and finding us. It's the only one out there like it, y'all, where grace and mercy is shed abroad. It reaches out to us. In Revelation chapter 1, 5 and 6, let's look back around the throne and see what the praise looks like. It says, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the, king of the earth, kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. What? Amen. You know what that means? We agree with this. I mean, think about that. It's amazing what you're seeing here. Verse 7, it's so rich. The result, look on your outline, the result of redemption is, look at verse 7, the forgiveness of sins. And it literally means to be released from payment. How many of you, I'll put it this way so we don't incriminate anybody in here. How many of you have ever, have ever been in financial bondage to the point that you didn't know where, how you were going to pay the next bill. That it started affecting you physically. You ever been there? I've been there. You ever been, had anxiety before the bill came and then wondered if you... I mean, that, that, is a, that is a tough place to be. I remember when we were first starting out as a young couple. I, I tell you, living with that data, I never wanted to return. I, thought, I told the Lord, I said, Lord, you help me get out of this mess. I'll never come back to this point. And I tell you, it's, it's a tough place to be sometimes. But, but what if someone would have came up to you or came up to me during that time and said this, I want to pay all your financial debts. I mean, there was, there was a time, I don't care who it would have been, I would have kissed them right there in the mouth. <laughs> I, I mean to tell you, it, it's a tough place to be. Imagine someone to come up and say, I want to take care, I want to pay your, your house off. I want to pay your car off. I want to pay your credit cards off. Your students say, I want to pay your student loans off. When I'm done with you, you won't owe anybody anything. 
How many of you just, just thinking about that just makes you giddy if someone would even do that? I'm not prepared to do that today, but maybe one day. But, but think about that. The, the financial, what would you feel at that moment? Man, think about it. You would feel relief. The weight of the world you would feel would be pulled off of you. you how many of you would feel grateful? Oh, yeah, that's where the kiss in the mouth comes out. You know? No, I'm just kidding. I mean, you've you got all these emotions, these wide range of emotions. And, and you know something? I've been there. I've been there where the, the anxiety and all settled in because I owed, I owed, I owed. But someone comes along and says, I want to take care of it all for you. And what if they were so bold to say this? And anything else you may occur, a cure or whatever in the future, a crew in the future. There you go. Thank you. English teacher. <laughs> you know, other pastors in the congregations don't intimidate me at all. We have several retired pastors. It's the English teachers. That, I mean, <laughs> it just, I get so paranoid up here. Anyway, okay. <laughs> anyway, I forgot where I was going with it. Oh, but, but let me tell you this. Did you know that someone came out of almost nowhere <laughs> to pay a greater debt for you. And his name was Jesus. Did you know there was nothing you could do about the debt that you owe God? Did you know eventually, Tina and I eventually worked through the financial issues that we were dealing with. We finally got on the other side of that without anyone coming and doing that for us. But did you know that that there would be nothing at all I could do about that debt, my debt of sin. And, and let me just say this. There's absolutely nothing you can do. You can't shame yourself enough for the payment of your sin. You can't perform your way or work your way enough for the forgiveness of sin. The only way it happens is being in Christ, which literally means coming to him on his terms. Not on the terms that you set. Not on the terms that another religion sets. Not on the terms that... It's the terms that he set forth. And he came forward and said, I'm going to pay that debt. Here's what, it's, here's what it means. Psalms 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Can I give you a smaller word for transgressions? Our sins. He, he's removed those from us. He's removed those from our account. They, they're no longer held against us. That's the, be, the debt he paid. No matter what you've done, it can be forgiven. For many Christians, those who have truly been saved, they are they, they out there, but they're still, many are still living under a shame-based identity. Here, here's what that means. They've given their heart to Jesus Christ. They've come on his terms. And, 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 and boy, they initially they felt the time of refreshing and all that. But all of a sudden, the enemy comes in, closes in. Maybe they've committed some sin they don't think they can be forgiven for. And so therefore, they enter into this shame-based identity. And here's what this, this is you if you're there. You're paralyzed. You're disabled. You're crippled spiritually. That's your condition right now. How many of you have ever lived there? I have lived there for a long time to the point it almost destroyed my marriage. Here, here's another side. Or your performance-based identity. 
You came to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You came, you, you acted on faith. But for somewhere, somewhere along the line, maybe it was some, something you heard or something, you started working your way to make yourself more presentable or to, to work your way through something. Do you know where that leaves, leaves you? Exhausted, busy, and spent. Legalism. I've seen that one too. I've lived that one. Instead of what's been provided. Christ-based identity, forgiven, grateful, joy, rest, peace. That's what he's done. That's what you can partake of. That's what you, you're coming to. That's the spiritual reality in which you can live. Verse 7 again, it says the riches of his grace. That means he reached out to us. God has done some, some amazing things. How many of you would agree with that? When you see the creation of the world, would you agree that God's done some amazing things? He's done some, I mean, amazing things. But the most amazing thing, think about this, y'all. The most amazing thing God has ever done is reach beyond his holiness and to reach out to our sin. Think about that. Get your mind around that. Someone who is holy, never touched by sin. Someone who is there. He reached beyond that. He reached towards our sin. How did he do it? Through his grace, through his mercy, through his love for us. Think about that. The creation is a wonderful thing. It's an amazing thing. But the greatest thing he did was reach beyond his holiness towards our sin. That just blows my mind. God's grace reached out to our sin. The context of verse 7 means this. God lavished his grace and love upon us and our sin. The word lavished means this. Given, uh, given beyond limits. That means it's limitless. What his grace and his mercy and his love has done on our behalf. The Bible says in Romans 5, 20, but where sin abounds, what happens? Grace abounds much, much more. Now, here's what this means. That means where my sin, where my sin went, doesn't matter what it is, his grace abounded even more. It covered it. Now, here's, here's what you need to understand. You don't use that as a license. You don't use that as saying, well, it's all forgiven, do what I want to do. If you have that attitude about it, I'm not so sure it's ever really been forgiven. I'm not so sure you really know him. Because listen, when you start realizing the realities of what he's done on your behalf and the new realities in which you can live and you're going to take that attitude, you won't take that attitude. It will grieve you to move in that direction. But here's what I do want to tell you. If you happen to, like I have in my past, after I came to know it, let me just tell you, where my sin went, his grace abounded more. No matter what you've done. No matter what you've done. Next, he has enlightened us. We are given wisdom. Now think about that. He not only provided all these things for us. The, the next verse almost tells us he gave us the ability to possibly even understand it. And, and by the way, there's a lot about it I still don't understand. But, but he gave us this. Look at verse 8. He says, which he made to abound toward us in our wisdom and prudence. Some of your translations for, uh, say for prudence, understanding, or insight. So look on your outline. He's given us all wisdom, and really that means the ability to apply. The ability to apply. So here's what it means. God has not only forgiven us, he has given us the knowledge to understand his truth. 
the ability to apply it to our lives, the ability to apply to gain a proper perspective of what he's done on our behalf. Now, let me just tell you this. How many of you know a lot of people out there who know a lot of things but have no wisdom? Absolutely no wisdom. Listen, I don't mean to... We could say this about the government a lot of times over the last several days. I mean, it could, it could be said about a lot of things. But let me just say this. When, when I look at our government sometimes, and by the way, we're supposed to pray for our government. We're supposed to pray for wisdom for our leaders. But I'm just going to be honest with you. Sometimes when I look at it, I, I see a lot of people who think they know a whole lot, but they don't have any wisdom whatsoever. And I struggle with that. And, and, and I think that's what we're seeing. You know why? Because they're, they're not taking the truth of God's word and applying it to the conditions in which we live. And that's always going to be a problem. Always will be a problem. But all wisdom, it's ability to apply. Next, all prudence or insight. It's the ability to understand. It's handling our life from a spiritual perspective. It's seeing our life from a heavenly perspective. The ability to understand this new reality and the ability to live out this new reality he has called us to. It literally means, I think, the fact that we can see things that aren't so apparent to many other people. How many of you have seen people who have had perspectives, not that you're a know-it-all, but you just know God's word, you see certain things in there that are pretty obvious and you see them living contrary to it and, and you know that, hey, if they just had this mindset about it, I think they'd do a whole lot better. That's some of what we're talking about here. Listen to this, First Thessalonians chapter four. Here's an example of it. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, those who have died, lest you sorrow as those who what? Who have no hope. Those who don't have the proper perspective. That's kind of a clue to what we're talking about here. Here's another one. You know this one. And we know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. So when things hit our lives, the circumstances hit our lives, the tough things of life hit our lives, we, we, because what God has given us in his word, what we've seen him do in our life, what our prayer life is telling us, what we're sensing, what we're discerning, where we get, what we've gained from wisdom, we can know that, hey, I, I don't like the circumstance I'm in, but God must be up to something. I'm trusting him with this. It's a wisdom. It's an insight that he gives us when, it, when we're dealing with the, this new reality in which we live. Here, here's, here it is. Look at verse 9. It says, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself. The mystery of his will. Look on your outline. It literally means truth once concealed is now revealed. Truth once concealed is now revealed. Colossians chapter 2 says something about this. To the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, let me ask you a couple, let me, let me put it to you this way. How many of you have been Christians long enough and have studied his word long enough, have seen how he's operated in your life long enough to see that, those, that there were things before that were a mystery to you that are no longer a mystery to you? How many of you have seen that in your own life? Yeah. You know what that is? It's God revealing himself more and more to you. That's what he wants to do. 
That's what the new reality is all about. That's what the new you is all about. Is the fact that God wants to reveal more and more of himself to you. And we have the ability to walk in that reality. Now I'm just going to be honest with you. Most of those mysteries that have been revealed that were once concealed. you know how they came about in my life? Through some very trying times. Some very tough times in my life. And I've heard a lot of y'all say the same thing. But it's there. We are given the ability to see things non-believers do not see. We see that it is God directing the universe. Here's another way of looking at it. That history is to be seen as linear. It's not something that has meaningless cycles to it. That history is going somewhere. Did you know that that is a biblical view of history? That it's going somewhere? That it began back here with a creator, that it began with him starting it all, that there's a plan that's being worked out and that one day it's going to end. That's the way Christians see history. Not in some hopeless cyclical cycle, but in the way that God has orchestrated. Here's what it means, that the temporal will eventually give way to the eternal. And so every time when the Bible talks about having a heavenly mind, having this, this mind, uh, having the mind of Christ, having those things, when it keeps talking about those things, it's talking about having those things in such a way that the mysteries which once were concealed may be revealed in you. That's what he's attempting to do in our lives. All under the, all under the whole idea of this new spiritual reality. Next, he has provided for us. We have an inheritance. Now think about that. The God who created it all, get your mind around this, has an inheritance for you. Now, how many of you think that may be pretty special? May be pretty special. Now, the Bible's very clear that we as followers of Christ are joint heirs with Christ. This will really blow your mind, which means everything Christ has, we are promised in the next life. It also means that there's an inheritance that awaits us who follow Christ. An inheritance, now think of this, an inheritance is something of worth passed down. It can be monetary, it can be material wealth, it can be a keepsake, it can be even a legacy of faith. But this inheritance goes beyond even these things, at least the one that God has for us. Listen to the description of this inheritance we're going to receive from God, or look at it. 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again. When it says has begotten us again, he's given us a new existence, a new reality. When he came to save us, okay? To a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead that provided the guarantee to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You know what that literally means? You've already got things there with your name on it. That blows your mind, doesn't it? Who are kept by the power of God. What do you do with valuables that you have in this day and age? You put them somewhere safe. You put them in a safe. What do you think the safe of God is like? That's what this is a reference to. That inheritance, it's not going to be defiled. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That means right now, it's not in the full reality in which you're living, which we're living in a new reality. 
But you know what he's saying? There's even more to this new reality that we haven't even experienced yet. More than you can ever imagine that's still out there. I told you this, these verses were rich. Now, what is this? Look on your outline. There's a plan associated with our inheritance. I gotta hurry. Look at verse 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. That means all those things that are really that are in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. That means he's He's bringing it all together. Look on your outline. Here's what it means. Look on the dispensation of the fullness of the times. Here's what it means. A grand unfolding plan that will one day climax and be revealed where disharmony will become what? Harmony. That's literally what the reference is here. Philippians 2 tells us what that looks like. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, those under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's where everything that's in disharmony will be brought into harmony. Now, how many of you are waiting for that part of your new reality to kick in? Looking forward to that one. Paradise that was once lost in the garden through Adam will once again be realized. The enemy, which has already been defeated, will be put away, no, long, no longer able to influence our new coming reality. Wars will give way to peace. Misunderstandings will give way to reconciliation. Harmony will be restored. Next, there's a new purpose associated with our inheritance. Look at verses 11 and 12. In him, also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all, the, all, the, all things according to the counsel of his own will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be the praise of his glory. Now, look on, let's break it down. Obtained an inheritance. Here's what that means. It will not fail. It will not fail. It is certain. The inheritance is certain. Then it, here's another word, predestined. Predestined. Here, in the context we're reading here in this verse, here's what it literally means. Has already happened. It's that whole idea, name is already on it. Now, how many of you have ever, <laughs> how many of you have ever been around um, where someone passes and the family comes in and all of a sudden everybody starts putting names on things? You ever been there? You're laughing about it now, but you, do. you weren't laughing back then, I can guarantee you, okay? And, and you'll hear someone say, well, mom will want me to have this because I gave it to mom. Some of you have used that one. I can see it in your eyes, right? <laughs> but the fact is, what you're doing is you're laying claim to something. You, you're saying this, this is mine. And guess what? That could easily not happen as well as happen. You know that, right? Especially if you have some manipulation in the family. Okay, let me just tell you about the names that are written on these things. It's a guarantee. There's no manipulation going to take place. Not even the enemy himself can touch these things. Boy, he has a field day with us now. But one day, no longer. No more manipulation. 
Here we go. Here's another one. Works all things. Not only creates, but energizes. Now, this was, that's what interesting. That's very interesting terminology here. It's a whole idea that, that God is not only a God who creates things. We know in Scripture he sustains things, but he also gives energy for, those things, for th- certain things to be carried out. He energizes certain things. And so here's, here's the verse that's associated with it, Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this, this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That means it's the whole idea of this new reality, that he's working in you, that he's working you towards something, okay? Here it is. Here's another phrase, praise of his glory. Literally means for his glory. We are redeemed for the purpose of restoring the divine image that was, that was defiled by sin. God gave salvation and our inheritance in such a way that only he could receive the glory for it. Now think about that, y'all. Only he is going to receive the glory for the salvation that we have obtained that has been given to us for the inheritance that we once have. Because it's not by works lest any man should boast. Here's another way of looking at it. It's not by works that any of us are going to get any glory. But who's going to get the glory? That's what the whole worship around the throne is all about even right now. It's not, it's not looking out. It's not, it's not people around there saying, oh, yeah, Lord, thank you for redeeming us. And, Lord, thank you for Gary. Man, bless his heart. He did the best he could. He put himself out there. He, uh-uh. No talk of us. Where's all it going to be directed to? To him. To him. Here's another one. Lastly, there's a promise with our inheritance. There's that guarantee. Verses 13 and 14. In whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased Uh, purchase possession to the praise of his glory. Now, let's break this down. This is very interesting. First of all, you see the phrase, you trusted, or you also trusted. That is the connection between man and God, okay? Religion, which relies on rituals and works, not only do not lead us to Christ, they also separate us from him, Faith is our only response to what God has provided for salvation and these new spiritual realities in which we live. It's a faith connection. It's a trust connection. It's coming to him on his terms. It's not religion. It's not ritual. Doesn't happen that way. Matter of fact, Jesus had a lot to say about ritual. Read about what he said to the Pharisees. Over and over and over and over again. (laughs) He was saying it's not that way. Now, it goes further. However, it is a faith that must be linked to, look on your outline, the word of truth. A faith that is linked. So here we have the connection between God and man. But then it leads to this. leads to this. Having believed. There's a connection that is actually made. So first of all, there's this whole idea of the trusting. We've, we've reached out to it. We've trusted in it. But we didn't just trust in something out there that's it's just out there. We, we trusted in something that was the word of truth. We trusted in truth. There's a lot of people out there who are not trusting in truth. They're not. They're creating their truth. They're creating their own reality. 
not embracing the new reality that Christ has provided. But here, here it is. Having believed, the connection is made. Romans 10, really, you know these verses, says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes into righteousness, with the mouth confession is made into salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. It's available, it's out there. A connection can be made. Next, sealed with the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you what that means? Connection secured. Connection secured. It's done. It's happening. Speaks of authenticity and ownership. But there's another word he uses. The guarantee of our connection with him. The guarantee. You see, when you put it all together, the guarantee of our salvation and these spiritual blessings come by way of the grace of God reaching out to us, the death of Jesus redeeming us, and the Holy Spirit sealing us, which is the true meaning of the phrase being in Christ or having a Christ-based identity. That's what it means. And only he can be praised for this. Look at the last phrase. Praise of his glory. How? For his glory. For his glory. No, listen. We don't walk around saying, look what I did in Christ. Look at me. I can't tell you how many times I see that in people. And, and it sh shows up in my own life sometimes. But it's not about us. It's about what he's doing. So our, our new spiritual realities include the two I gave you last week. He has given us we have spiritual blessings. He has chosen us. We have a destiny today. He has adopted us. We are family. He has accepted us. We are established. He has redeemed us. We are forgiven. He has enlightened us. We are given wisdom. He has provided for us. We have an inheritance. Y'all, these are the, the new spiritual realities in which we live. It's not shame-based. It's not performance-based. It's a Christ-based identity. Look at the application. Same as two weeks ago. These verses reveal who we are in Christ, which in turn gives us our identity. Identity is the evaluation of self or the individual characteristics from which a person thinks or operates. So here's the question. Where do you find your identity? In shame? Some of you may be sitting here today. Your identity is all in your sin and your shame. Or is it in performance? Let me just tell you, if it is, I'm just going to tell you where you are. You're exhausted you're tired, you're always wondering if it's been enough. Or is it in him, which is, of course, reference to Christ. I want to close this two-part series back with the $100 bill. This is for demonstration purposes only. <laughs> if you are here two weeks ago, said the same thing. How many of you sitting here right now today would like to have this $100 bill? Humor me. Raise your hand. Some of you are like, I can take it or leave it. Well, bless your heart. Okay. <clears throat> now, how many of you, as I did last a couple weeks ago, how many of you still want this $100 bill? Okay, that's good. Whoops. How many of you... Demonstration purposes only. I don't destroy money. I'm not going to hurt the money, okay? How many of you still want the money? 
Okay, I want to carry the stepfather this week. Germaphobes tell us <laughs> that money is one of the dirtiest things we handle during the day. Did you know that? If you don't believe me, look it up. You'll wonder why I don't have gloves on handling this right now. Germs that make us sick can be on here. Traces of things you don't want me to mention have been found on these. How many of you want to shake my hand after the sermon? Anybody? <laughs> Who still wants it? Still want it, don't you? Think about it. No matter what I do to this $100 bill, no matter what's on it, we still want it. Why? Because it does not decrease in value. It's still valuable to us. It's it was still worth what was said about it. Think about your own life. Think about this, y'all. Many times in our lives we are dropped, crumbled, defiled by the decisions we make and the circumstances that come our way. We feel as though we are worthless. But no matter what has happened or what will happen, we will never lose our value. Dirty or clean, crumbled or finally creased, defiled, we are still priceless to him. The worth of our lives comes not in what we do or what, who we know, but by who we are and whose we are. But let's get back to the real point. I can guarantee you this is not a counterfeit. This is what it says it is. <clears throat> you know how I know this? Because the one that created it stamped it. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've been stamped. The Bible says you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. You're guaranteed the value in which God holds you valuable to. Which means this. All those things may happen to us, but we're still his. We still have the potential to live in the new realities in which he set forth for us. But the question is this for you today. Are you the real deal? You know there's a lot of counterfeits of these out there. Look, I mean, it says the same thing on it. Same wording. Same everything. Matter of fact, most of us wouldn't hardly be able to tell it apart. But you know what knows? The one who created it would know. They would see it immediately. It would be known. So here's the question this morning. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you know him for real? Or are you a counterfeit? I don't mean to be ugly by saying that or threatening. But it's time to do a little soul searching. The other side of this is maybe you are a Christian. But you're not living like who you're, who you're said you are. You're in Christ. You're forgiven. You've been bought by a price. You, 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 you've got a whole inheritance. There's a whole new reality out there for you. There's a God who loves you, who reached out to you before the foundations of the world, before there was a creation, before there was a fall. He reached out to you. So this morning, won't you embrace him? This morning, why don't you walk away from your shame-based identity and become in him? Why don't you walk away from the performance, the religion, the rituals, and come to him on his terms in Christ? Let that be a reality in your life. Would you stand to your feet? Father, we just come to you right now. We just thank you so much for your blessings. And
Father, as we studied this word this morning, and Lord, you're so rich what we see here. And Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you just for the reminder that I've had over these last several weeks while studying this word of, of who I am in you. And Father, I pray that uh, through this study, through this sharing of your word, that your Holy Spirit has taken this word, planted it in the hearts of those here this morning. Father, that they won't leave here the same as they always were. Father, for that young lady that may be here today who's still living in the shame of their sin and they only see their identity by what they have done in the past that they see as unforgivable. Help them to step out from under that and into who you are and what you have provided for them. Father, for that one that may be here today and they've been trying all their life to be acceptable to you, to be good enough. They thought that was the way. Father, I pray that today maybe they will just Say, you know, I'm tired. I'm tired of trying. I'm ready to start trusting. Father, I pray you'll work in that heart here today. Father, for those who are here who are Christians, and Lord, I just pray, Lord, that they will uh, have a fresh sense of who they are, that they, they realize that they can walk in victory. Lord, give them that. Father, lastly, for that one that may be here today, they want to be the real deal. But maybe they're just kind of playing games. They know there's never really been a change in their life. They know that they have not moved from that old creation to that new creation, to, the, to that one in which it's been preserved and, and that you're doing. That They would have to say, you know, that maybe they are a counterfeit. They know all the words. They know all the right things to say. But it's not real in their heart. Father, I'll just pray you'll have your way in this invitation. Bring those that need to be brought forward this morning. In Jesus' name, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, myself and two other pastors will be here at the front. The altar's open. I don't know what God's doing in your heart. I know he can do it right there in your seat. I don't know. Let him have his way in your life this morning. Let him do what he needs to do. Would you allow that to take place? Would you sing with us? Father, have your way in this invitation. In Jesus' name, amen.